Well, welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. We have the pleasure of sitting down today with Dr. Alexander Lansky, who is the professor of medicine at Yale University and the director of the Yale Cardiovascular Clinical Research Program. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lansky. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to have you. To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and then your role as the director of the Yale Cardiovascular Clinical Research Program. Sure. So, oh, going way back when, I uh, trained as an interventional cardiologist. Uh, I was uh, fortunate to be um, at the, I trained at the Washington Hospital Center and got engaged with the Cardiovascular Research Foundation very early in my career as a fellow. Um, and sort of tracked along with uh, the CRF group up to uh, New York. I was very engaged in clinical research. I, um, somewhere along the line, decided that uh, I wanted to step out of the cath lab. I took a role at Columbia and worked there for a number of years. Um, And then about 10 years ago, decided it was time to leave and uh, took a role at, uh, at Yale, as you mentioned, uh, leading the clinical research program there. And of course, um, still very much engaged in clinical work, but more sort of on the, on the general cardiology side of things. Where does that passion for research come from? You know, it's interesting. I think very early on, uh, I think it's a, it's a combination of things. I think I came out of my fellowship at a time where interventional cardiology was sort of, you know, we, it was all ahead of us to be discovered, right? We, we didn't understand the mechanisms of restenosis. We were exploring different uh, technologies and tools and, you know, atherectomy devices and new devices. And, you know, this was actually prior to, um, to stents. I, I went through the whole uh, phase of vascular brachytherapy. I mean, it's been such an exciting, you know, adventure um, along the way. And I think that, you know, I was kind of front and center to all, all this, this uh, explosion of uh, new therapies and technologies. So, so I, you know, I can only say that it's been extremely exciting to be a part of that. And in many ways, I think, you know, we've, we've defined the treatment, uh, you know, and for coronary treatment and now going into, you know, structural intervention, interventions and peripheral interventions. I mean, it's just, it's just such an active space um, and specialty. So, you know, I think, I think research in this space is just amazing and uh, just very exciting. Absolutely. And you can count IVL as one of those. And IVL is definitely yeah. part of it, right? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you were, that was, Yale was engaged really from the, the very beginning. You know, tell us a little bit about kind of how, uh, from a clinical research perspective, you were involved. Sure. So, you know, one of the, the research we do is actually device-based and in the pre-approval stage. So we were engaged in your very early studies, um, both on the peripheral side as well as the coronary side. And we were, you know, we, we served as the central angiographic core laboratory as well as the clinical event committee for some of your early studies. And it was interesting because we've done so much work in this space um, that very early on, we kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of, you know, some of the promise of your, your technology 
and got very interested in looking and digging a little bit further to try and understand, you know, in this very high risk cohort of patients, try and understand, um, you know, differences in, in outcomes. I have to say, I've always been very interested in, um, in understanding outcomes in, in females in, in particular. Um, you know, I came out of my fellowship back in the 1990s, and I don't know if you, if you look at the, the mortality trends, you know, that was the worst in terms of outcomes and death rates for females. Um, of course, we've seen a massive improvement over time but it, it kind of, you know, I started digging into looking at outcomes in the interventional space and there too. I mean, we've seen, you know, disparities in how we treat women and the outcomes in women, much worse outcomes. So, you know, when we started looking at the results with your technology and this very high risk uh, group of patients, you know, we saw fewer events, we saw fewer angiographic complications, and, um, you know, so it kind of tweaked my interest, and I really wanted to understand, you know, what, what, how did your device perform in, in, in women? So, uh, so that's a little bit of a, the, the backdrop of some of the analyses that, that, uh, that we've done. Yeah, that, that's great. So when you think about the, the gender analysis in which you just alluded to, did you have a hypothesis going into the analysis? Well, uh, so, you know, highly calcified lesions across the board are not good. And, and you guys know that because that's your, that's what, you know, that's what you do on a daily basis. But what we've learned in women, it's, it's really bad. And even when you when you implant a stent, even a second generation stent, the outcomes, long-term outcomes are actually very poor of uh, women with highly calcified lesions compared to, to women with, you know, no calcium or minimal calcium. What we've seen is higher mortality rates up to, you know, this is three-year data up to, you know, 30%, 40% higher mortality rates. There's more MI, there's more revascularization. Of course, in this patient population, we understand that the lesion prep is key, uh, but, you know, the, the outcomes are, are poor. Um, and the other point is that atheroablative treatments, right, traditional lesion prep treatments with atherectomy, uh, whether it be rotational atherectomy or orbital atherectomy, in females in particular, seems to be associated with a lot of complications. So there's a, there's a, there's a number of series that have looked at this, but if you look at uh, flow-limiting dissections, perforations, um, tamponade, etc., the, the rates are much higher in women compared to men. So it, it really kind of begs the question, here we have a new technology that is much more user-friendly, um, breaks up calcium in situ, and how does that perform in this very high-risk cohort of patients? So, um, so I think that's kind of like, again, you know, going back, the reason why you know, it, it, it's important to, when we're looking at outcomes to point out where treatments increase risk, 
But if there are treatments out there that reduce risk and actually improve outcomes, you know, it's equally important to get that in the public domain and, and dig into it and try and do these analyses that will, you know, expose that. So, so I think that was the backdrop and, and the reason behind the interest in looking at this. And speaking of the public domain, I think the first presentation was at TCT last year, yeah. where we had the 30-day results from the analysis itself. What did that find? Right. So just to kind of summarize what we did, what, what, um, what we did was uh, took all your coronary trials, this is Disrupt CAD 1 through 4, and did a patient-level pooled analysis. Um, so this is this is a sizable sizable cohort of patients. We had you know six hundred and thirty patients or so, um, and did a sex-based analysis. Uh, as as any other series out there, there was only there's a minority of females. That I think there was like twenty three percent. Uh, female representation. Nonetheless, that's the biggest series we have, right? So, so still very relevant. Um, what we we saw was that you know, as as typically, we you know, women are older; they have more risk factors. And I think on the because these were all approval studies, or, uh, studies leading to you know for FDA submissions, we had a lot of detail. So we could, um, we were able to look at all the angiographic criteria that were done, all collaboratory analyzed and done and with a lot of detail. And, um, you know, what we saw there was, you know, again, very typical females have small vessels compared to, to male patients. But I think it was striking in that, uh, you know, both men and women had very high levels of severe calcification. So more than 96% for both men and women had severe calcification. So, you know, the selection was, was spot on. And I think the sites really did a phenomenal job in, in identifying these patients. The extent of disease was very similar between men and women, um, you know, long lesions, long segments of calcification. And, um, you know, we dug into looking at some of the, the, um, the procedural differences between men and women. And I, I honestly don't think that there was any, any bias um, that we could detect there. There were slight differences in the number of um, IVL devices and inflations and, you know, et cetera. But that probably had to do with the subtle differences between uh, men and women. Um, I think the key takeaways from the, that study was number one, when you track your outcomes out to 30 days, which was your primary endpoint, 30 day MACE, there was no difference between men and women. Typically, every single study that we've looked at out there, looking at devices, outcomes in women are worse. So I think it was a very positive you know, finding that there was actually no difference um, in MACE at 30 days between men and women, no difference in mortality, no difference in MI rates, revascularization, stent thrombosis, et cetera. But what was very striking to me, and I got very, uh, very excited about this, and uh, I, I recall a number of phone calls with, with yourself and other, other folks from your team, was the fact that um, 
the procedural differences, you know, we looked at complications. So uh, flow limiting dissections, severe dissections, looking at uh, slow flow and no reflow, looking at, uh, at perforations. So not only were the rates very low overall, but for the first time that I'm aware of, we actually saw numerically fewer complications in the women uh, compared to the men. I, I don't know exactly the rates, but I think it was like 1.2% versus 2 point something percent in, in the male patients. And you know, I, I, we, I don't believe that we've seen that previously with other devices. So I, you know, I, I think this is very meaningful and uh, something that we need to, to you know, track and potentially compare to some of the other, again, rotational atherectomy, where we know that those complications are much, much higher, uh, particularly in female patients. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a very positive finding and something that, that we're very excited about. Absolutely, very encouraging for sure. And, and now at Sky, fast forward, you know, six or so months, and then we have the, the follow-on 12-month data. What did we find moving from the 30-day to the 12-month hard clinical endpoint? Right. So, you know, absolutely. I think, I think the key thing is, are the acute results, do they, do, are they you know, do they, are they maintained at 12 months and, and beyond? And that was, you know, an important question coming out of TCT, where we presented these very, very uh, encouraging results early on. So um, we were able to, um, it, it was both the CAD3 and the CAD4 trials. So it's a smaller cohort of patients, but we were able to collect all the follow-ups and with very high follow-up rates, well above 90, 95% at one year. And again, looking at, you know, all the typical metrics that we follow, target lesion failure, revascularization rates, uh, et cetera, at 12 months, the rates are, are um, really not different between men and women. Um, and well within, you know, what we would um, consider very acceptable um, complication rates or revascularization rates in this high risk cohort of patients. So again, you know, speaking to very, very encouraging results, particularly in the female patients. The one thing I'll point out uh, from the one-year results is the stent thrombosis rates. So once again, we're seeing a little bit of a signal, nothing, nothing significant, but uh, the stent thrombosis rates in women were, were actually numerically lower than what we saw in the male patients. So I, I take that as a very positive signal. Uh, of benefit of your of your treatment. Absolutely. With this one year follow up included, obviously we'll be tracking these patients for two years for CAD three and CAD four. But when you think about this more holistically, where do we go from here? As we look from an evidence generation perspective. Yeah, I think it's important to build the evidence. I think this is a big step forward, at least in in my mind. We've you know, over the years struggled to kind of establish, you know, sex-based outcomes. I think we're building that evidence. There's no question that, um, you know, we, we continue to be challenged by 
um, including more women in our clinical studies. So, you know, trying to boost that and expand on, on the number of, of, of females in, in our trials, I think, and in, in these trials specifically. You know, understanding the long-term outcomes, maybe understanding some of the subset, subsets of patients, diabetic patients, patients with kidney disease, et cetera. Um, I would be very uh, interested in looking um, at some point, maybe in a post-market or, you know, investigator-initiated trial, comparing atherectomy to um, IVL. I'm um, bullish, I guess, in, in, in thinking that the, the results that we're seeing here would translate into favorable results for IBL. I, I think it's just, it makes sense. It's a gentler treatment, I think, for, for again, highly calcified lesions than, you know, atherectomy, where we're essentially stripping the endothelium within the coronary vessel. And I just don't think that um, intuitively, I think the outcomes would be favorable. And I'd love to see that come to life at some point. Uh, we'll see if we can put it into effect, but I think that would be a, a huge step forward. Absolutely. So, so I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the gender consensus statement that was published in JSky earlier this year. Can you talk a little bit about it? The way I look at it, it's a companion to a guideline document. The guideline documents that we have, and there was, of course, an updated guidance document that came out of HACC, um, talk about, you know, what are the guidelines in revascularization across the board, whether, you know, depending on the clinical presentation, depending on the types of lesions, depending on, you know, many factors. Um, those guidance documents cannot go into the granular detail of sex-based outcomes. And it was important for us to uh, follow the guidance documents and pull out the evidence, the things that are known and the things that are not known about um, revascularization, specifically focusing on female patients. Why, why female patients? Because again, it's, it comes back to that underrepresentation and the level of evidence that, that we have or don't have in, for specific indications. So our guidance documents tell us, um, you know, what are, the, uh, what are the results and what are the recommendations based on trial results that are, you know, for the most part conducted in, you know, majority male patients. And that's just the reality um, and, but, you know, what's interesting, and there are areas within uh, those recommendations where the, the findings, the evidence in females actually goes in the opposite direction. They're not consistent with what the guidelines are telling us. So we felt it was important to kind of summarize, uh, you know, what is known and importantly, what the gaps are. And so throughout the document, it basically follows the outline of, of our guidelines, but it really sort of highlights sort of the, the areas that do need additional work, additional research, additional evidence so that we can confirm that the outcomes or the, the, what is being recommended is the right approach. Kudos to you and the rest of the authors for that, for that document. I think it's a great, uh, will be a great reference kind of moving forward as we 
you know, try to close the gap from that perspective. Thank you, um, thank you. Well, I, I would say that you know when we were when we were pulling that document to go, together and we were um, writing the section on on uh, calcified lesions, you know, we we reported what was in you know, had been published, which was uh, stuff on atherectomy and et cetera. And the IVL data was not available. So that's when I came and said, look, we've got to, we've got to get, you know, we've got the evidence is out there. We just have to get it published and um, add it to the, um, to the guidance, to the consensus. So it's in there and we sort of summarize the uh, results that I just talked about. So I'm, I'm pleased we were able to sort of, um, you know, include that because I think it's very relevant. Yeah, indeed. Fortuitous timing, for sure. Yep. So, well, Dr. Lansky, thank you for your time. Really appreciate your insights. Uh, we'll look forward to having you on next time. We can talk about our next female trial, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, oh, I would love that. Until then, uh, thanks again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chalk Talk. If you're interested in learning more about what Chalkwave is doing in the female PCI space, I'd encourage you to come visit our website. It's timeforanintervention.com, or you can find it at shockwavemedical.com. For important safety information, you can find that also at shockwavemedical.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.